The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Man United fly at the Emirates, a bridge too far for Spurs and another score for Shaw. It's Lindsay Hooper here with the Athletic Charlotte Harper. Hello Charlotte, I've seen you on my travels this weekend. I know, it's great to see you Lindsay, how are you? Yeah, it's always nice to do a face-to-face. I almost had a face-to-face. Well, I did have a face-to-face with Faye. It was quite embarrassing, actually. I, I arrived at the same time as the team bus and Faye had to tell me that's why they were moving me on. Wasn't it, Faye? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, were, we both had, we were in the queue, weren't we, to get in the car park at the Emirates <laughs> and we both got shifted out of the way so the, uh, the players could uh, get through. Which I didn't so. know what was going on. I had no idea what was happening and I was just like, no, 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 I am meant to be here. And you then they like were you pointing were running down- late. I was. Well, I was I was stuck in 45 minutes of traffic just outside the stadium. So I wasn't I wasn't actually on the late side yet, but I was feeling like I've got to get in. Under pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations as well, Faye. I didn't get to say this in person through the car windows, but um you've got your legacy number now for the Lionesses. So reveal what number it is. Yeah, that's right. I've um, got a letter and um, an email confirming all the numbers. We've got a whole list of the numbers and uh, see every player. But yeah, I was on 120. So uh, yeah, it was interesting just to see where on the list you would be and just to think about all those players that had gone before. You're in the middle-ish, aren't you? Yeah, well, that was the thing. It was like, think, well, there's only 119 that have been before over what was, was a what, 20, 30-year span. But then obviously nearly 100 already gone in less than 10 years uh 20 years I suppose so yeah it just shows you think more now with the younger players coming through and the experience that they get having gone through the age groups they probably you'll start to see more perhaps and the numbers increasing on that end but yeah it's just nice I think it's a great initiative by the FA to add that and just cements that all those players now that the profiles got to a good level it's um I think it's important that those players that even went before my era are recognised and, um, you know, get stor- their stories out there um, because they would have done yeah. some great things just to, to play for their country. I've loved those pictures, actually. There's been a few of you sharing them where I, I saw one with Millie Bright and, and they're just comparing the numbers with with those from early on in, in the numbers and the list with the current team. And that's been beautiful to see because it just really highlights the comparisons. For people that missed it, every woman who has ever played for England has now been given a legacy number. And it started from the 1972 goalkeeper Sue Bucket at number one, uh, all the way through to Katie Robinson, who's been the latest Lioness to be called up at number 227 and of course it's going to go on and on and on Faye at at some point you're going to look down the list and be like wow look at how far back I am yeah thinking oh I'm super old (laughs) um (laughs) I didn't want to say that but it will come to all of us yeah yeah well that's the thing I've only been retired what 10 years now but it does feel quite a long time with how the game has suddenly pushed on in the last couple of years I suppose just because of the profile I think it's now been given um, yeah, and obviously yeah. the game turning professional and that but yeah you look back and you think well you know what we achieved get to final in 2009 and you know it was pretty good considering the kind of support we had and the, the fighting for trying to get more media coverage um, so yeah but no to think that more those numbers will keep growing and the game's only going to get stronger is obviously a good thing and is a good the place yeah. where we exactly want the game to be. And Charlotte, what a great year to do it as well, because England, they've ended 2022 unbeaten, gone the whole year, of course, that European Championship trophy as well. So what a way to end things off. This feels very poetic. I imagine for a journalist, you like this sort of thing. It adds to the narrative arc. Yeah, definitely. You know, undefeated in 2022. I think the one all against Norway, Serena Wiegmann said it was a bit disappointing. But you've got to consider the number of new players that we had in. There were eight changes from the 8-0 thrashing against Norway in the Euros compared to the one all draw. But as Wiegmann said, take it. If you had asked us, any of us, this time last year, 
okay, England are going to win the Euros and they're going to be undefeated in 2022. You think? <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dream we'll on. Take that. Absolutely. Um, but Vigman said she'd, she'd have a little toaster to England at Christmas. So it's a nice way to round off. A sherry, maybe? Christmas time? Do you think port and lemon? I don't know. What do you reckon she drinks? What do you reckon, Faye? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know her that well, but whatever. She deserves something for uh, what she's done. And she deserves a bucket of it, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What do you? What were you going to say, Charlotte? You think? You think she, she said to what? us? Yeah. After the year, she said to us, she doesn't like beer, um, but she does oh, okay. like a, Bacar- a Bacardi and Kayla. She's uh, she's definitely the way forward. I think we should all be a bit more Serena Vigman in 2023. Uh, so England women then unbeaten, as we've said. England men kicking off their World Cup campaign as we record this very show. And with the men away in Qatar, women's teams took over the big stadiums for a huge WSL weekend. Uh, later, we're going to be hearing from Chelsea's five-time Champions League winner, Khadija Buchanan. But we're going to start at the Emirates. Zellum's corner. Oh, they've done it! Would you believe it? Alessia Russo! The corner kick does the trick for Manchester United. And they lead by three to two. Absolutely extraordinary. Indeed, Manchester United came from behind in injury time to spoil Arsenal's party at the Emirates, ending their 14-game unbeaten run. Alessia Russo scored the winning header. And how did United celebrate? Well, they went backstage at Mamma Mia. They stayed in London and they met all the cast. If you haven't seen that post yet, looks like they had a brilliant time. And they were having a great time in this one. I'm, I'm sorry to bring it up, Faye. I know that you're red and white if we cut you open for Arsenal but (laughs) Manchester United losing to Chelsea now they've beaten Arsenal I think for the neutral we all feel that it's made the title race more interesting yeah and I have to agree it has Um, I actually thought they were probably the better team in the first half and I think Arsenal come back into it second period looked a lot more um, high tempo and physical but yeah to let it go so late on in, in the game. But equally, we know they are a good team. They, they're improving and getting closer all the time. And they had a point to prove United, didn't they, after that loss mm. against Chelsea, having been up the top of the, the table for the start of the year. And uh, yeah, it was a, a good a comeback by them. Um, you know, I have yeah. to remain neutral in some ways when I'm looking at these games and reviewing them. And from Arsenal's point of view, it, again, it's my, just my little question in my head about the Arsenal team at the moment. It's, it's these big games where you have to get the win. You have to grind it out and obviously I know they've got a few injuries obviously you wouldn't say that was Arsenal's best starting 11 if you had everyone available whereas you could argue it probably was United's but yeah ultimately they did really well United to ramp it up just in that last five minutes or so and nick those those goals those two goals and there was a few questions I have about you know who's marking who and things like that when I look at the defensive set pieces but mm-hmm. um you know at Russo know how good she is in the air um, and it looked like we had two forwards on her um in Miedemar and um I think it was Catelyn Ford yeah so you think you know they just you know not gonna attack a ball she didn't even jump either so I was like a bit, anno- <laughs> a bit annoyed it was like she just used her strength and I think sometimes you need a defensive minded player who's gonna put their head you know and get themselves in front um, yeah. Whereas the forwards sometimes just don't really have that in them. So yeah, just a little bit about who's picking up. But again, we have had injuries. We've got players out. But ultimately, United did well. I was pitch side for this one as well. And I, I agree with you, Faye, about your first half comments. I thought Manchester United were easily the better side in the first 45 minutes. What I thought, though, Charlotte, was most impressive about this, because I did think that they they might struggle because 35, 40 seconds into the second half, Arsenal get that equaliser. And I thought, oh, mentality-wise, what are they going to do here? Because they'd lost that game to Chelsea because that goal has come so early. So so what did you think tactically they, they managed to do well in this second half to, to see the game out? I agree with you, Linz. I think um, when Arsenal went 2-1 up, especially, I thought Arsenal are just going to win this even without playing that well. But United kept playing in behind the lines, much more forward balls, getting Golton uh, and Russo. Toon was, had a brilliant game following up from her two performances for England as well. And although Arsenal did improve in the second half, I still thought they were poor just in terms of giving Manchester United too much time and space, their decision-making as well. Zinsberger did not have a good game at all. And Arsenal didn't really have any sustained attacks. So in answer to your question, yeah, United 
kept the foot on the pedal and didn't cave uh, with that mentality, which is a really big shift for them. But you have to say Arsenal weren't at the races. And they also didn't let the Emirates atmosphere get to them either. You know, 40,064 in attendance. And you you wonder how much of a bearing that has on the visiting team. But they they really put their heads down and, and got on with the job. And instrumental in all of that was Katie Zellum. I mean, her set pieces were fantastic. I love good deliveries of a ball because you can't really excuse it when you don't clear the first player. But she is someone that can just whip a ball into the area and it's just so inviting for any of the attackers to get on the end. Idaval actually afterwards said that it was down to the set pieces that Arsenal lost. So should we be putting more credit to Katie Zellum here Faye. Is she is she one of the WSL players that we stick in that underrated category? Yeah, sure. I think you know she's uh, she's had a, a good career. She's an upcoming England player too. Just narrowly missed out of the the Euro squad, but definitely her set pieces are a, a real strong point. I mean, I think she maybe lacks a little bit of physicality sometimes at the top top level, and um, maybe for that midfield role. But I don't, I don't put it down just to the set pieces. Personally, I know it was two good deliveries, a bit of bad defending, but I did find that the, the um, substitution of Vivian Miedemar putting her back in seemed, I mean, I wouldn't normally say this with Miedemar because she of who she is and what she can bring, but knowing that she's had a little break off, and I don't get correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think she played for the Dutch team in, that, in the international break either, no. but to bring her on in, maybe he underestimated United, because I would see United now as that, you know, Chelsea or City kind of game where, you need to win those games. And with a few in players that injured out, I get, yeah, you probably want to start bringing her in. But she looked a little bit slow, a little bit. She doesn't really give you that real chasing down, kind of high pressing game like um, we've seen uh, Marnham do in that position as that 10. So I just felt certainly about Kim Little in there, taking Jordan off. She's got that energy. Um, it just lacked a bit. And I think she just, for me, seeing her in person looked like she was just a little bit too slow to close down, not quite physical enough. And it was at the right game to put her back in, considering she's had quite a lot of you no know, match time um, for the last few weeks or so, having that break. So and obviously you can't bring it down to just one thing. It was some poor defending as well, but it just maybe the, not the correct call, perhaps. It's not just the defeat as well that's going to hurt Arsenal here because we saw those close-up images of Beth Mead coming off the pitch towards uh, the end of the match in tears. After the game in the tunnel, I was in that area. I saw her on crutches. I think all of the reports are hinting that it could it could be a bigger injury. It could be something like an ACL. I mean, we haven't had confirmation of that yet, but her book signing in Shoreditch has been postponed as a result. I mean, it looked bad, Charlotte, and she would be a huge, huge miss. Yeah, massive miss. If you think about the World Cup, which is eight months away, and we know the time that it takes to come back from ACLs is at least nine months. And that's, you know, without even playing time. Of course, you know, we haven't had any official confirmation at the moment, but yeah, that would be a huge, huge blow, not only for Arsenal, but for England as well. Mm. We hope that it's not as bad as what people are fearing. A large attendance at the Emirates and almost as many fans turned out to Stamford Bridge as well over the weekend. Just over 38,000 packed out the stadium to see Chelsea take on Spurs. And that's where we head next. Kerr rides the challenge away from Zadorski. Sam Kerr, and it's in. It took Chelsea just 36 minutes to wrap up a 3-0 win over Tottenham at Stamford Bridge and it marked Emma Hayes' return to the touchline as well with goals from Sam Kerr, Erin Cuthbert and Guru Wrighton. We had a, a lot of fanfare in the build-up. If you were there at this game, you'll have seen that they were celebrating 10 years of Emma Hayes being in charge. It is her 10th year this year. and. What a what a day to do it, Charlotte. I mean, to to celebrate that, the fact that she was back after the hysterectomy on the sidelines, keeping a clean sheet, winning 3-0, never looking like they were ever in trouble here either. It was just a perfect Chelsea day for everybody involved with the club. Great to have Emma Hayes back. And and she said herself, it, it kind of felt like coming out to her family and she felt like a supporter. She was that relaxed and she was... Um, speaking about her baking that she's been doing during the games while recovering. So during the Brighton one, she said, yeah, I was baking cookies, banana bread. But it was really interesting getting her insight of how actually from the sofa, 
especially during the Manchester United game a couple of weeks ago, uh, she was actually pretty comfortable. Okay, Chelsea didn't have all of the possession, but she didn't mind that looking at the objective data of the number of entries that they'd had into the penalty box or the number of shots United had got away. Whereas on the pitch side, she was hearing through the earpiece connected to her assistant, Denise Reddy, that they weren't as calm. And so she said, you know, I've just used that experience and I was really chilled out against Spurs. But yeah, great to have Emma Hayes back. And we do need to give a plug as well for your piece, Charlotte, because you've done one on The Athletic about Hayes' return. And um, if you don't already subscribe, there is a massive Black Friday deal right now. £1 or $1 a month for 12 months for new subscribers. And that offer only lasts until Sunday. So you do need to get right on that. Charlotte's piece is one of them that you can enjoy. Also, Harder, another injury. We've spoken about Beth Mead a few moments ago, but Penilla Harder, um, Faye, looks like she's going to be out for a significant period. She's just had surgery on her hamstring after international duty, and she's posted a picture on Twitter. Well, she's going to be a big miss too. Yeah, of course she is. You want your best players and um, playing from a manager's point of view, and obviously the fans to, to get to see a play like that up and close is good. Obviously, it gives the other teams a bit of a, a pick-up, I suppose, to think. But equally, Chelsea have such a strong squad, don't they? So numerous players, I'm sure, should just you know rejig. I think Aaron Cuthbert at the moment is doing brilliantly in midfield. You know that kind of has been her newer position so far this season, rather than out on the right wing where we've seen her play more often and scored a great goal as well. So obviously, harder is a miss for them. Being one, you know, was formerly the most expensive player. And you never want to see a player have a long injury like that. I, I ruptured part of my tendon, hamstring tendon too, just before a World Cup. And I know what that feels like. So uh, it's not much fun. No. I'm on a more positive note. Erin Cuthbert got another goal. Brighton with the outswinger. Cuthbert goes for goal. Oh! Erin Cuthbert with an absolute belter. Rather than us wax lyrical about it, we've actually got from the horse's mouth her thoughts about it. I know people say I only score bangers, actually annoying. I want like to score tappings as well. I want like to be known as a goal scorer. Um, but I think it certainly rates up there. I think, you know, I've, in the week that I've signed the contract, it's, it's really, really special. Chelsea has a has a history and I know what it means to be at Chelsea. I've been here a long time and I think to you know to top one off at the bridge um during the same week of my contract renewal is is certainly something special in that and it's it means so much for all the fans here as well. How did she get it to spin that way, Faye? From the, the footballer angle, what is it is it the laces that she's hit that with? Yeah, I think she's actually just hit hit with the laces, she just kind of cut across the ball slightly. And then, yeah, obviously, it's just taken it into the, the top corner, isn't it? And span away from the keeper almost. But I think also it cut, sometimes it's the spin on the ball as it's come down. Yeah. So it got knocked out to her, didn't she? I and mean, she was in that space. But, yeah, to see that and have the confidence to do it, execute it. Um, I think we know she's, you know, a good goal scorer as well as a real tenacious midfielder and player for, for a team who will probably do any job. I think you could play her anywhere and she would probably perform well. She's that type of player. But... Yeah, she start. You know, she does score some real screamers, doesn't she? And she does. pulls them out. And to score, when you're a player and you get those big opportunities to play, like Stamford Bridge or a big stadium, you know, to have that now, that memory where she scored a real screamer is uh, is always going to stay in her mind and a lot of the fans' minds as well. So yeah, it was a great technique, and it is really hard to do. But sometimes you don't even know if it would come off. Not that I would score a lot of them like that because I was a defender, <laughs> but I did score a left-footed uh, volley from outside the box for England once, so uh, kind of know uh, Oh, get that one it. in. Definitely yeah, drop that one in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, really good technique and um, a great goal it was. Uh, Charlotte, what do we say about Spurs with this one? I mean, it's understandable that we're, we're talking all about Chelsea with this because it, it all went their way. But why didn't it go Spurs' way? We're used to Rianne Skinner's sides being a little bit more robust, I would argue. Yeah, I agree. I think it was similar against Arsenal as well earlier on in the season that they just didn't really step up to the mark. I mean, they created some opportunities to get into the final third, but they were you know, not convincing in their shooting. 
and the, taking the opportunities and really taking the game by the scruff of the net. They also made a couple of mistakes and of you know against a Chelsea side, they're going to capitalise the, on them straight away. I mean, Spurs, you have to remember that they have come a long, long way and it's all about evolving the squad for them. But it's, again, consistency. It showed the gulf, however, between... Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United uh, and a, Spur, a team like Spurs further down the table. Mm. Well, let's give you the context for the title race. Chelsea topped the table with a game in hand. All three top teams, Chelsea, Arsenal and Man United, have lost one game each. Arsenal and Chelsea have to wait until January the 15th to face off against each other. Uh, We'll leave that one there. So let's hear from the Chelsea camp. Earlier, I caught up with defender and five-time Champions League winner, Kadisha Buchanan. A very warm welcome to Kadisha Buchanan to join the podcast. Kadisha, First of all, let's talk about Stamford Bridge because it was a 3-0 victory. You get the clean sheet. Emma Hayes is back on the sidelines, also celebrating 10 years of her at the club. Just what sort of occasion was it? So much to take in. Yeah, I think it was it was a massive one. I think it was like a long time coming since our first game at Stamford Bridge got cancelled. So I think it was just all that emotion into this game. Like we put everything what we wanted from the beginning of the season to into this game. And yeah, it was great to see Emma back on the sideline, all the girls back from the national team. I think we're all firing and it just showed in that game that we're all just ready and just ready to perform. Uh, I think we're, we're all excited um, to speak on behalf of everyone because that's how I felt. Like the energy was amazing, not from just like the players and staff, but also the fans that came out. Yeah, it was very lively in in Stamford Bridge uh, yesterday. 38,000, Kadisha. So it was some turnout, not far off full capacity. And we've had this debate with Emma before where she's spoken about King's Meadow and how you've made that into a fortress. We know that your record is excellent there. And when that's full, we're talking about four, four and a half thousand. Did this make you want to play more at Stamford Bridge or do you acknowledge that you've got that ability at King's Meadow to to really get the crowd on top of the away fans and the away side I think it's, it's great but it's also like I think different challenges when it comes with the big crowd so it's like when you have so many people cheering for you which is great it's hard to hear what the coaches want want you to do and and want you like how you want to perform and so I think when it's a bigger crowd I think you just focus more obviously but also you have each other so the people on the field have each other's back and we communicate um, just through the links, through um, defenders to midfield to striker if we need things to get across. Whereas in like if we're playing at King's Meadow, I think the coach can just shout halfway across the field and you can hear it. So I think when we're at like King's Meadow, it's definitely coaches led. But when you're at Stamford Bridge, it's definitely like the players that step out on that field like needs to help each other out and have each other's back. And and what did you notice from, from Emma Hayes being back? You know, for us, it's difficult to, to really account for the difference because she'd done so well when she's not there. We know she makes a huge difference and she'd had constant communication with Denise and the other matches. But what are, what are those differentials when she's actually there? I think this time it was just her presence is just always needed. I think for the past few weeks that we didn't have her, we just knew that she was in Denise's ear. So what she had to say or what feedback she had to give to the team, we got it. So I think that was there, but just obviously as a, she's a head coach and she just brings so much intensity um, into the game. So you just always try to push your limits. She always has to push your limits and make you the best version and best player of herself. And, you can feel that each time she's coaching us um, either game or in training session, like you are going to be pushed to your limit. Like she wants the best out of you. So I think she gives that presence as like, she just wants to see you do good and wants to see you just get better. And that's the presence she brings. But even before that, the team was obviously we're playing well, but obviously Emma was with us in spirit always. 
we also know that she manages you very differently as individuals. It's that player management. And I, I just wanted to make that comparison between yourself, for instance, and Lauren James, who joined the football club. So Lauren has been integrated into the side over a period of time, whereas you came in and you've pretty much started most games straight away since when you joined. So th- there's clearly a difference of how everyone settles in. Is that because you knew that you were going to be fine in London or, I mean, have you settled in brilliantly? Is that why? Yeah, I think this is from the girls. It was just very easy to settle in with them. They're all great girls and it was just a very welcoming group to me. And as for like me settling in and playing so many games, I think, I don't know, I think Emma finds that I'm very comfortable with the team already and it didn't take me a long time to just get settled with the team, settled with the tactics and settled with how with what Chelsea stands for and how Chelsea plays. Getting your voice heard in this squad, has that been easy? You've grown up one of 12 siblings. My gosh, have you been used to having to fight to get your voice across? Um, definitely not fight. You can't fight with a um, <laughs> bunch of girls, catty girls. So I think for me... Back home, I was more like the quiet one, more observant one. But I feel like on the fields, when I just express my myself and just be vocal and and um, just be the leader that I know how to be. But definitely off the field, it's maybe more a bit reserved personality and more laid back and maybe less talkative. Like you're gonna hear me shouting all the time. But when I'm on the field, I think I just have a different mantra and different mentality. We've noticed that you wear this necklace with the football on it. Does it have a special meaning, that necklace, to you? It's basically just like jewellery, and I felt like I made that pendant because I love football so much, and so I just got a, got a football made, um, put it on my neck. and Yeah, I think it is special to me, but it doesn't really have much meaning more than I just love football and I love the game. Yeah, and you can see that when you're playing, Kadisha. In terms of Champions League, you've won it five times, Leon. And when you joined Chelsea, you said your sole aim was to win the Champions League with Chelsea. So you've got this Real Madrid game coming up. I mean, how equipped do you think Chelsea are to win it? You've been there, you've done it. You can you can tell us your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Chelsea has all the ingredients to, to win a Champions League. I think it just comes with consistency. And I think each game we're building and we're getting better. So that's great to see. And I think by the end of the season, like, if you think we're flying now, I think just imagine like a few months down the line where everyone's gelling. Um, doesn't matter who's up on the field, everyone's connected. And so that's like the exciting part. But I think it's all just consistency and just performing on that day. I think mm. a couple of years back, um, Chelsea really had a great team, but it was just unfortunate against Barcelona. But I feel like if they really came out to play, then it would have been a different scoreline, I think. So me joining Chelsea, I knew that they have that winning mentality and they're just eager and hunger and hungry um, to win. And the league is just so competitive. I think it also allows allows you to get better and perform better each day and each day, day in and day out. So when you get to that final game, you'd have to solve all the problems that the football has given you. I feel like from the league and from these Champions League, like round robins, this um, group that we have here, I feel like there's a lot of different challenges and stuff. And in this league, there's a lot of challenges. So I think by the end and by that final match in the Champions League, like you should have had every problem solved. So when you get there, like, there won't be no problem and mm-hmm. we'll be able to solve it as quickly as possible as well. So That's such a good way of putting it, actually. Uh, one final one. We've addressed a lot of issues on this show, Kadisha. One of them that's been raising its head recently has been about bespoke women's football boots and the response from our audience has been incredible. They, they can't believe that a lot of you wear men's boots. So we've we've noticed that at the club, You've all been outspoken about different issues at different times. Is that something that you're wanting to to talk about more? Trying to get bespoke boots for your for your feet? Yeah, I mean, I think it's this the world evolving, and I feel like women are evolving in this world as well. So it's great to see. So I think if 
there is an opportunity where boots will be made will be made like to women's feet. I think it obviously just fit more comfortable and more better. And I think that every brand should obviously take that into consideration about gender, about ethnicity, about all all kinds of things. They should take in factor when they're making boots because football is obviously universal sport and everyone plays football. So it shouldn't be just specific to one gender, one ethnicity. No, here, here. And hopefully we'll see some change in that area. Kadisha, thank you so much for your time. We wish you all the best against Real Madrid on Wednesday. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and the interview. That was me speaking to Chelsea's Kadisha Buchanan there. Uh, this was a big weekend for playing in men's stadiums. We also saw a very lively Manchester United away end at the Emirates. And some of the fallout from that that I've seen from fans is that they were absolutely loving having an away end. And I thought it was something that we should probe a bit further on. Uh, we've got the Football Supporter Association Women's Games Network Manager Debs Dilworth here joining us to chat this through. Debs, you will have seen some of the sights from that game. I mean, was it as welcome to you as it was to a lot of the fan base? What's good about this is that fans have the choice to have away sections or hopefully are starting, it's starting to become apparent that fans do want to try to pick where they're sitting and sit together as best as possible. So yeah, I think it's it's making sure that supporters have the choice is important going forward. Why haven't we seen much of them before? It felt like they suddenly sprang into life at the Emirates this weekend where we were all thinking, wow, there's an actual away end. Why haven't we had that previously? I think where the women's game, classically, uh, supporters have sat together and have mixed between two different clubs. And there's a lot of enjoyment that um, in that still. So I think there's a lot of supporters that would feel bad or sad if uh, there wasn't that option to sort of sit in a, in a mixed section. But I do think that we've seen a growing number of supporters groups uh, advocate for an away section as well to try to create a bit of atmosphere, to try to sit with people that they know um, or have met uh, through the community, which is a football club. But I do think that a number of supporters want to see the choice so that we have a, a mixed zone, a home and away uh, zone, just so that it gives supporters um, more more opportunities to sit in an away end and create a bit of atmosphere if they want to have that. Debs, can I just ask a very quick question? Yes. Um, how does it work with clubs and supporters? So I understand the use of away sections is at the club's discretion, but is it, you know, is it difficult for fans to get away sections? Like, are there barriers in place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very dependent on the club. Um, I think there's been a general, there seems to have been, I've not got data on this, but there seems to have been a worry from clubs to bring bring these sections in. And I think that that's because of what happens in the men's game and sort of it being seen as segregation rather than just a choice to ha- to sit with people from your own club. So I think there's been a little bit of a worry. And also just generally across the game from national, international level, there's always the away fans aren't really valued like they are in the men's game at the minute. So often you get like a whole host of barriers and this is just one of them. That might be down to the resourcing in the club, uh, the, the money. But even like to purchase an away ticket is an absolute nightmare at the minute. You have to have 12 different accounts from every different club in order to purchase tickets. So we have spoken to the FA about this and said, you know, like just uh, just making sure supporters have a choice is really important. Um, so I think it is being looked into um, and we we have sort of pushed for that as well. But I think what a lot of people want to make sure that is understood is that those mixed zones are really important too, because that's one of that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do go to the women's game. I'm one of those. I like sitting in amongst multiple fans, not just home or away. Faye, what what do you think about that? I know that you were at the match and since then, the Telegraph have run a story saying that Arsenal are wanting to play every single game at the Emirates eventually. It's something that Jonas Eideval, I think as well, he's hinted that he's he's behind that. He talks about two homes, but eventually it could just be the one big one. How do you see it playing out with the away support? 
No, yeah, I think it was really good because I was at the game and actually the away fans were just below where I was sat and it kind of did give that bit of rivalry between the supporters and at one point, unfortunately, from an Arsenal point of view, when they, when they scored, they were the, the chance of you're not singing anymore and just that kind of, you know, to and fro that we, I think, gives a bit more atmosphere. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was really good on Saturday, actually, I noticed. <laughs> so, um, and obviously the whole thing about playing at the Emirates more I think that's brilliant obviously that's what we've always you know we would hope to see and obviously after the Euro success for that to happen so quickly um, and obviously the the team at the um, World Cup in the summer England again when that gets to that big platform and the game explodes again perhaps then I do think there'll be a point where are we outgrowing all those small stadiums that the clubs (laughs) are playing in and you know just think that 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 will happen so quickly after when we've been fighting for it for so long and also, I do think in pre- previous years, Arsenal have been a bit left behind in, you know, if during my career, we've always had a great attitude towards the women game and, and have a good history. But in recent years, they have been left behind as far as other teams start to play at their stadiums a lot more or getting the bigger crowds and, you know, and seeing 40 mm-hmm. odd thousand at the last two games they've played at the Emirates and getting themselves on that map as far as off the field and how they're organising themselves is, is obviously as an Arsenal, former Arsenal player is pleasing to see. I think it was those images as well, Faye, wasn't it, of Barcelona and Real Madrid. I just think that that resonated so much when there were over 90,000 that we all felt, no, we've actually got to pull our socks up here and get on board. What has the feedback been like, Debs, from a from a fan point of view of wanting to play in the big stadiums? Because the managers, they do seem torn. I, I spoke about Jonas saying about the the two homes in his statement. And we always hear from Emma Hayes about King's Meadow being a fortress. So, So where are the fans at with it? I think fans would probably want to see a bit more of a plan because at the minute what seems to happen is, you know, the the clubs are playing in the uh, men's stadiums, which often they're termed the men's stadium. So even that is a little bit troubling. But fans want to see a bit more of a plan. If it's once or twice a season, realistically, how much is that benefit fit in the women's game? So, for example, Tottenham, I think it was last season, uh, had played in the main stadium and then there there was a huge drop-off so they had a really big result a good attendance at the main stadium and then they went back to their home which is traditionally their home throughout the season and it dropped off a huge amount and was less actually than it had previously been so there's mm. it doesn't really seem to be a consistent plan with what this means now the information that has just been put in the telegraph around Arsenal wanting to play every game in the stadium that's more of a plan so are we going to work to integrate the women's team fully that would be a better way to do it because otherwise it's just adding to this homelessness feel of women's football that's just can you know be moved around dotted around if they're going to do it and commit properly and integrate that would be I think would be very appealing and welcome to a lot of fans but at this moment in time there's there doesn't seem to be a consistent plan um, or or what the long-term sustainability is, uh, particularly when you're looking at the communities in and around um, the mm. current home stadiums. So what community are you sort of like working to pull into the stadium? I think it's just, very, it needs to be thought through a little bit more. Charlotte, did you see these quotes after the game at Stamford Bridge from Emma Hayes about the ticket prices? I think once again, she's gone in to say they're too cheap. Yes, I did. Um, I was at uh, Emma Hayes' press conference and you've got to remember that hosting games at big stadiums comes at a cost for clubs. You know, it costs more to host at Stamford Bridge than it would uh, Kings Meadow considering uh, security, operations, marketing, tickets, catering. Uh, And so the club are going to make a loss unless they get enough numbers in and unless those ticket prices are, you know, high enough to make a, a less of a loss, I suppose. But she's right in in the sense that Katie Wyatt wrote an article in this in February 2022 of, you know, we've got these sold out stadiums at King's Meadow, but that's a reduced capacity. And with the level of football that we saw on offer at the weekend, why shouldn't we be charging more for ticket prices? Mm, and is that something that you've looked into, Debs, this cost implication to being in the big stadia? Totally. And and the, it is a, a great point in the sense of it does cost money to run the stadiums as well. So that has to be taken into consideration. I think the one thing that needs to be considered going forwards on this, though, is that supporters should always be consulted because what we've seen sometimes across across football, not just in the women's game, is that prices are increased, but not really 
with within consulting the fans and that's really important so I think a number of supporters groups advocate for you know the fact that it's a it's a cracking product what you're what you're paying to see is amazing and I think a number of them potentially would agree like hey or question whether or not the ticket prices are cheaper Um, Mm -hmm. but you've got a sweet spot don't you you need to make it still affordable making sure that people can access it and also you have to support consultants if you're thinking about raising your ticket prices and they're the ones that are going to be paying um, and you need to get their buy-in and sort of understanding first. With that in mind I suppose we have to acknowledge that lower down the pyramid it will be more of a one-off occasion I mean we've seen that just this weekend Sheffield United they're playing all their home games at Bramall Lane this season that's a bit of a an anomaly um, they broke the championship attendance record this weekend they got 11,137 fans I think it's important to bring the numbers in here when we're talking about feasibility on ongoing with that uh, fifth tier Fulham uh, we had a feature on Sky Sports inside the WSL this week ahead of their game at Craven Cottage. They lost 3-1 to Wimbledon in front of over 3,000 fans. So that was um, obviously fifth tier and, and much reduced crowd. A first time back there as well for them since the team reformed in 2014. There is an article on The Athletic if you'd like to read more about that from Peter Rutzler. But when you look at that, we want to bring and bridge this pyramid together sometimes, Debs. But I mean, feasibly trying to do it in WSL is one thing, but to to have it go throughout the the whole pyramid is probably a completely different prospect and one that would have to be thought through longer term. For sure, for sure. And we t- and th- so every decision. This is why the independent review into the women's game is so important because actually there's some key decisions to be made going forwards as to how we keep the pyramid connected and keep it protected. So I think that that review will be really fundamental. I mean, it's interesting on this in terms of, say, ticket prices and um, lower down the pyramid, because another way to look at this is potentially free tickets that are given out in the WSL can cause issues potentially for uh, teams lower down the pyramid, because some teams rely on their match day income. They rely on the fact that they have to charge for their tickets. Uh, WSL teams might not have the same amount of issues because they're often underwrited losses by the the men's side of their club, in which case they can give out free tickets, which we try we know that clubs have used to try to get bums on seats, but equally is that causing a problem potentially down the pyramid because there's some clubs that just have to they they rely so much more on their match day revenue. Generally speaking, that whole financial uh, aspect of women's football needs to be looked at. And that's why it's good that the review is happening because there are a lot of losses. But I think it's interesting to sort of see, like, would it, is it good if the ticket prices go up just slightly for women's football in general? Because we know that some, some are trying to survive off of that matchday income. Mm-hmm. And when do we get the insight into that full review? I would imagine it's the start of next year. They'll kind of compiling the evidence and sort of like looking into the evidence. There'll be more panel discussions, I'm sure, on different submissions that have happened. So, yeah, it's a watching brief on that to sort of wait for the next stages. Um, The FSA Mm -hmm. has submitted evidence in consultation, sorry, with our Women's Game Network as well. Because, again, we we would strongly advocate that supporters and consultation of supporters and those structures have to be built into the game as soon as possible. Otherwise, we end up in a situation that we've got in the men's men's game and we don't want that to happen. No. Well, that sounds like a great opportunity for us to revisit this with you, Debs, later down the line. We really appreciate you joining us for today, though. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Let's round up the other results of the weekend. We had our first draw of the season, finally. Can't believe it took so long. Uh, Liverpool pulled back an injury time equaliser to draw 3-3 against Brighton. A late West Ham winner saw them beat Leicester 1-0. And let's pause here to just admire Bunny Shaw and Rachel Daly at the moment. They've scored twice as many goals as any other player in WSL this season. Uh, Shaw got another as Man City won 2-1 against Everton. And it was a hat-trick for Daly as Villa beat Reading 3-1 at Villa Park with a late red card for Royals keeper Jackie Burns. And in the championship, Bristol City were beaten for the first time this season. They lost 1-0 to Birmingham. Over in Qatar, the Men's World Cup has started and there is a new version of the Three Lions song and it includes the women getting a mention.
Yep, the lionesses may have inspired the men. Uh, and it was an ex-lioness as well who's inspired all of us this week. In fact, today as we're recording in Qatar, we had England men playing Iran. And in the build-up to that, Alex Scott on BBC One wore the One Love armband. That was after the men decided not to wear them. So I think there was quite a clamour from Harry Kane and Gareth Bale to try and wear the captain's armband with the One Love message. Then just in the lead up to kick off, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Over to your former teammate, Alex. Um, Faye, we can rely on her, can't we, to do this sort of thing? Yeah, she's obviously using her platform to great effect, really. She knew she had that opportunity, perhaps, and uh, spoke really eloquently, I think, before the opening game on some of the issues that have, you know this World Cup have brought up. Um, and it's just about fighting those kind of barriers, which ultimately, as a a female player she's had throughout her whole career. We've all known what that feels like. So in a way, these issues, it's still about ch- uh, speaking about them and, and trying to get them recognised. Um, obviously, not only women's rights, but the LGBT community. And um, obviously, this World Cup has brought a lot of issues up to the forefront. Obviously, it's good now the football's playing and we can start maybe talking about that. But yeah, really good for um, Alex to just add that. A bit of a U-turn from on the men's, but ultimately, I think it was wrong for... FIFA, that you know, to bring it so late that they would uh, book the players, um, and obviously when there's a sporting sanction included, I think if we'd have had Harry Kane sent off in this game, or because he picked up a you know just a, a yellow card for a really innocuous thing, you know, it just brings all those dynamics, and you know, it should have been sorted out way before, really, I think. And there is a, a direct link as well to the women's game because not only have we got figures like Alex Scott out at the World Cup, Leanne Sanderson is there, Enia Luko as well. So there's certainly some crossover. I guess really the question now, Charlotte, is how can the women use the tournament going on in Qatar right now to their benefit? We've seen the big stadiums used over the weekend. How can women's football take advantage of this time of year with a World Cup being played? Do you think they can? Definitely. I think you saw the quality on show at the weekend. No Premier League. Uh, you've got elite women's football that you can go and see live or you know, on TV as well if the Men's World Cup is not something for you or you want both. Um, so absolutely, the WSL and the, and the women's game, especially with Champions League. We've got huge Champions League fixtures this week and in the coming weeks as well. Just a word on Alex Scott as like, hats off to her for standing up for LGBTQ plus rights. And I encourage everyone to go and read Adam Crafton's piece on on The Athletic of, you know, how that feeling of betrayal by the LGBT kind of community, by the world of football and, and just what that feels like. So head over to The Athletic to read Adam's piece. And yeah, I agree. As someone who's immersed in both the men's and women's, it's lovely to see these crossovers that happen as well. So I'm so pleased to be watching Alex at this World Cup, as well as Ennie and Leanne, who I mentioned before as well. Faye, you captain England at two World Cups. Can you tell us about being captain and what sort of routines you had specifically at World Cups? Yeah, well, it's always special because it's just that different vibe, that different buzz, obviously, especially when it's a foreign hosted tournament. Obviously, got I'm trying to yeah two World Cups in, under my belt, <laughs> and they they both have different feels because of the countries that you're going to. I mean, China it was very much um, you know so much further away. First time we'd ever really tra- travelled to those an Asian country to to play in a major tournament. So it was our first experience of playing in a World Cup for a lot of us. And then fast forward that to Germany in 2011, where women's football it was seen as equal on the men as the men's is in their country and all because of they were world and European champions it felt like every game we went to we were it was the kind of stage and grandeur of what a men's world cup would be like back then Mm. you know so it you know we felt like this is it this is what this country look how they put this show on and it was you know and and the support that they give their women's team it was really nice to be out of being part of that and see that but yeah, ultimately, you just want to perform. You want to be in that squad and then every game, it's one to savour and you want to put on your best performance. You want to make yourself and your family proud, but your teammates as a collective and then your country. And obviously, when you come back sometimes and you feel like you didn't really make a dent in how the, it was being portrayed in the media or in people's, um, you know, in the general life, it didn't have the kind of awareness that and the, the you know, the spotlight it has now. It just made you a bit more hungry to make it happen and to make sure we could, you know, eventually get the game to where it is 
so yeah it's obviously great memories and they're the ones that you do you do all those hard days training on your own and in the early up in the morning getting yourself out of bed for and those are the moments and you ultimately you want to play and you want to put your best performance on well, you, you did that so many times and look at where we are now, Faye. Um, we will also wish uh, the men's teams well, not just the three lines, but Wales as well, who are in the tournament. What have we got coming up women's football-wise this week then? Well, there's Champions League and I'm I'm wondering, Faye, are you going to go and watch Arsenal? Um, they're going to Italy though to face Juventus. I'm not sure whether you're going to be having a trip to Europe, are you? No, definitely. I won't be out there, but I will be watching it now on YouTube like we can, because again, that's the yes. progression is that we can get to see all these great games against top uh, opponents. And the other game um, sees Chelsea host Real Madrid midweek. I will be at that one. Charlotte, are you heading to that one? I'm not actually. I'm flying out to Qatar Friday. So um, oh. over and out for me from the women's football, but you'll be in the capable of hands of all the athletic writers who chip in for women's football for the next couple of weeks. Oh, well, safe travels for you getting over there. Just rounding off the Champions League fixtures, Barcelona hosting Bayern as well. I wanted to highlight that one. We've dubbed it Battle of the Brits Abroad. I think that's how it's going to be known uh, for this season. So watch out for the result in that one too. In domestic football, it's the Continental League Cup third round and the second round of the FA Cup as well. You need to keep an eye out for Newcastle United hosting Barnsley at St. James's Park. It's going to be at the, the St. James's Park Stadium. You can imagine that could break some records, couldn't it? Certainly FA Cup attendance records outside of Wembley. We're expecting that one to crash. Um, apparently 25,000 tickets sold already if you're going along enjoy it that's all we have time for on this week's athletic women's football podcast but a big thank you to Faye and Charlotte who've joined me this week uh, what are you up to for the rest of the week then both of you Qatar for you on when Charlotte Friday Friday so you'll be packing most of the week and getting ready for that um, what are you doing Faye um, I've just been doing a few interviews and uh, reactions on the, the World Cup and the men's game. Got one tonight, actually, um, after I'm trying to watch the game as I speak. Um, and uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, just a few, a few events around the games, really, and obviously watching the games. If you have sensed a bit of distraction every now and again, it absolutely was there. It's on silent in the background. I'm trying to uh, be all professional here and I, I've missed every goal so far, I think. Um, thank you for listening at home as well. Uh, keep the comments coming on social media at The Athletic FC and at Offside Rule Pod. It's always great to hear your thoughts as well. And remember to nab that Black Friday deal. It's not around for long, only until Sunday. Uh, it's on The Athletic website. Just £1 or $1 a month for 12 months for new subscribers. Until next week, goodbye. The Athletic.